This is Talks with Petri Sol, and I'm your host, Petri. Today, our guest is Per Bülund, who's an associate professor of entrepreneurship, and this is his second time in the show. Welcome. Thanks so much. This is episode number 42. So, Per, what's the question? Yeah, you know, I wonder if that is not the question. Probably not. So let me try something else. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, what should every founder know about inflation? Because, you know, it seems to be that uh, something weird has been going on and the, and the numbers are going up, but, you know, the revenues usually are not going exactly in the same same fashion. So what's happening? Yeah, well, that's a very good question. I think what they what they should know is that this is not really a matter of uh, prices going up. It's a matter of the purchasing power of money going down. And it, it I mean, it, in a sense, it's the same thing. But if you think about it, if money is losing value rather than prices are going up, then you focus on different things when thinking about it. So even 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 if you're holding on onto money and, and prices are going up, but not the prices that you're thinking of and that you're going to pay, then it doesn't really matter all that much. But if you think about how it's actually your money losing value, then you would act differently and probably act sooner too. So I, I think that, that just shift in perspective is really important. Okay, can, I think I'm already confused, or at least pretending to be confused. So what is actually inflation? Uh, how do we measure it? And, and, you know, some people say that it's one thing and something, some people say it's another thing and, and the government is also measuring it. In some ways they're dropping something away from them. This is a huge mess. So can you, can you make some sense out of this? Well, I can try. I mean, you're absolutely right. It is, it is a huge mess. And the reason for that is that there are def- several different definitions. I mean, in, in the beginning, it was really... The, the increase in prices overall due to creating more money. So it was the fall of the purchasing power of money which caused prices to go up because there's simply more money around to uh, compete for the goods in the market. So when people... So can we actually make a... Be- Sorry. Before you move on, I'm, I'm just thinking that maybe the... Can we use the example of stocks share? You know, you have a share capital in a company. And if you're issuing more stock, is that the same thing as, as printing more money? Is, is, is that inflation, the dilution of the, your, your stock? Can, can we use that as an example? And is, is that sort of equivalent in a way that it, it would make it more simple? Because yeah, I, I think, think that uh, sort, of, sort of makes sense. know about dilution. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense because you are diluting the currency. And the currency, I mean, it's there to, to buy all the goods that have been produced, basically. And you don't get more goods that have been produced already just because you're printing more money. So by printing more money, there's more money. And in, as in your example, you're, uh, you have more stocks or more shares, which of course give you, a, each share gives you a, a smaller part of the business. And it's, it's sort of the same thing with money. If you have a $100 bill in your pocket and, and suddenly the, the Federal Reserve or the central bank is flooding the market with new money, then that $100 bill is a, a lesser relative claim on all the goods available. 
so prices will therefore increase. So, so it, is, it is a dilution in that sense, right? But this is sort of the, the older definition that was used by economists to explain what, what the heck is going on and, and explain the prices that go up because of manipulation of the currency. And of course, 100 years ago, economists were talking a lot about and trying to understand the causalities in the market and not just sort of provide policy recommendations, but instead understand what the heck is going on. So they use this, this older definition because it makes more sense and they can then separate why prices go up. Because, of course, sometimes prices go up anyway and prices go down sometimes. <clears throat> and that's not strange. They always change in the marketplace. Uh, but the inflation itself is that all prices, or at least in, in, in general, prices tend upwards. That's, that's the inflation. But the new definition is that the, the price level, as they call it, which is a sort of a statistical construct, the level of all prices is higher than it was before, and it's measured through the consumer price index. So the, the prices of all consumer goods are, I mean, the, the way they do this is that they have a, it gets a little technical, but they have a, a, a basket of goods that are sort of standard what people buy, and then they look at, oh, how much is this basket of goods now compared to a month ago? Is it higher? Then it's inflation. If it's lower, then it's deflation. Uh, and, and, and then you track this over time. Of course, the problem is that what is in this basket of goods changes over time too because people buy different types of goods. So they're adjusting what is in the basket while measuring the prices in the basket. So uh, uh, That sounds uh, quite crazy. But it, you're actually moving yeah. two variables and then pretending that it's stable. Right, and, and they're putting a lot of calculations and a lot of, of statistical mumbo-jumbo, basically, into figuring out what the, what the true basket should be like. Right? So it actually captures what, say, what a, a, a standard, whatever that means, or a representative housewife would buy normally. <laughs> so so if, if you put it that way, then, then you would see that, yeah, it changes over time because your mother probably does not buy the same things as, or did not buy the same things as you are buying now when she was your age. And the same thing with your grandma because there were different things to buy and because people had different ways of living and all of these things, right? So, of course, the, ba the, the, the goods in the basket are going to change. And there are probably hundreds or if not thousands of economists trying to figure out what is supposed to be in the basket and how much of each and things like that. And of course, you have things like, we're talking about things like shrinkflation, right? Where the first thing that happens is not that, that prices go up, but it's that the packages tend to shrink. So if you go through the, the aisles in the grocery store, say Kellogg's Corn Flakes is no longer 750 grams, it's just 700 and no one told you, right? But the price is the same, which means you're paying more for each gram or, or whatever, right? Well, then the question is, is, is it one package in, in the basket or is it suddenly one point something uh, packages in the basket, right? So you have to adjust for all these things. So, so you're absolutely right. I mean, you have, you have two sides in the equation and, and both sides are moving and you're trying to figure out <laughs> the relationship between their moves. And, and that's not even all. Uh, yeah. Because you mentioned that uh, it's over time, you know, with, with different generations or just, uh, you know, with years. 
things change. We are not buying uh, Nokia phones or rotary telephones anymore. We're buying uh, iPhones and different things, and they, they change as well. And, and sometimes we are not buying some stuff at all anymore, like a VCR, so fax machines or whatnot. But then there's right. also this thing that uh, you say that they are thinking of making like an average person. So basically, there's no person like that. They just mm-hmm. assume that everybody is that person and, and that's the average in- inflation. But it's a completely different thing if you're like high-income person or you're a student or you're a pensioner, you're living in, you're renting your place or you're owning your place or you have a car, you don't have a car. Sounds like a huge mess. Yeah, it is. Because, uh, I mean, even if prices or the price level, according to the basket, is is increasing by a certain rate, just like you said, some people we have different goods that we buy. So maybe the goods that you buy are are going up really fast, but the goods I'm buying are not really going up much. So you are experiencing uh, enormous inflation, and I'm not. Maybe just a little bit. And, of course, what they're reporting is is just the average, not between, not the average between the two of us, but the average imaginary person who has this shopping basket that no one else has. And it's supposed to represent the economy overall or something like that. So it's a, it's a purely statistical construct based on a sort of a sound concept, I think, that, that in general prices are moving up or down, but just a measure of it makes it really complex and basically so complex that the, the measure is not really related to the concept any, anymore. Yet it has consequences. And now we've been assuming that uh, all these changes, all these things are done in bona fide. So in, in, a, in a, not in a way to manipulate or starting to hide things or any of this. Is, is that also happening? Can we trust? Yeah, the of course. And I mean, part of it is, is, it's just in the deci- decisions of what should be in the basket, right? Because it's it's not that easy. I mean, you mentioned that, oh, today we're buying iPhones, whereas before we bought Nokia flip phones, for instance. Well, it's also the case that an iPhone is different every year. And you need to keep the, the quality level at about the same, right? Because other, otherwise you're suddenly buying higher quality goods. So obviously a... A, I don't know, an, an Opel car is not the same as a BMW car. So you need to figure that stuff out too. And then, of course, if something goes up really quickly in, in price and other things do not, then you might want to uh, tone that down a little bit because it's going to pull all the prices, the whole price level up. So they did this um, earlier, a number of years ago, where they took electricity and gasoline basically out of the of the of the uh, basket because those prices were yeah, who just soaring them? you know there's no use right. for them for the regular average show or chain yeah and especially in america i mean we all have cars in america so obviously just excluding gasoline is just ridiculous because everybody's buying gasoline every week we're buying gasoline <laughs> it's the only way of going anywhere uh so that didn't make any sense but they took it out because they thought that it distorted the picture because it had too much impact on the price level of the basket. And of course, those decisions, they can be made uh, completely, 
objectively, uh, if you which want to if you want to use that term, so that you're just trying to represent exactly what people are buying or exactly the price level itself. Um, of course, we already said that well, people are buying gasoline, but we are excluding it because the the price increase is abnormal. So we're excluding it because we want to somehow uh, keep the price level construct untainted by this one price that is going up. And you see that now we're sort of leaving the concept behind just in order to produce a measure that we can. <laughs> and, and of course, those decisions can be made to manipulate. So if an election is coming up, for instance, and certain prices are going up because of policy, then you can tone those down and make sure that they are not as big a part of the basket anymore. And then it looks like inflation is not as high. So will we see this Yet, now? Uh, money is running out of your wallet. Exactly. And, and then you report that, oh, look at this, inflation is 2%. Whereas, whereas the basket, if you had kept it the way it was two months ago, maybe inflation would have been 7%. So, so you, can, you can play with these numbers and, and make sure that the numbers fit policy rather than the other way around. Which, of course, now, you're, now you have uh, two sides that can vary on a different dimension too, right? Because you, <laughs> so in a sense, I, I wrote an article many, many years ago, maybe two decades ago, where I claimed that inflation analysis or inflation um, research is in itself propaganda. And, and, and this is a little bit of a different argument, but what I claimed was that we are so used to prices going up in general but if you think about it, prices, if money doesn't change, and no one is, is producing a whole lot of new money all the time, then prices should fall. They should go down because we have competition between all these businesses. We have productivity uh, improvements. We have innovations. So we should be getting more and more for our money. So even measuring inflation, using the basket and all of the, these goodies, we're still comparing it to zero. Right? We're comparing it to no change, whereas we should expect in the market a fall in prices. So even the number itself, even if it captures completely the change, it, compl it captures the change from before, but not the change from what it should have been otherwise, which is probably lower than it was before. So even the, the numbers reported, I mean, th there's nothing here that really corresponds to <laughs> what's actually going on in the economies. It's a measure, but it's yeah. You can you can use it for whatever you like, basically. And it certainly is being used. Uh, like one of the consequences is that uh, if you investing, and and then you putting your money on stocks, and the stock market goes up, but the inflation goes way more up, and then you casting your stock. But you know, you are not adjusting the profit space, you know, taking away the inflation, you're actually paying the taxes on the inflation as well. Right. And and, and that's sort of the thing that governments in general, they benefit from inflation. And so do um, those who borrow money. So those who are in debt, because you, if you have a, a loan for say $100,000 from 10 years ago, the principal is not increasing because there is inflation. It's still going to be $100,000. So it's, 
the way if you have to pay it back in 10 years and there is 10% inflation every year until then it's going to be easy to make 100,000 in 10 years and pay off the whole loan right but if you're saving well if you put the money in the mattress you're going to lose money every day and even if you put the money in the bank account you're probably not going to get as much as the inflation rate you're still losing money so it, it's in this sense, it's really a, a inflation is a redistribution from people who save and from regular folks with fixed salaries to people who borrow, who are highly leveraged um, and who are investing in those markets where you have sort of bubbles, where you have these booms, and to government for the reason you said that your people are making, accounting-wise, it looks like profit. But in terms of the purchasing power, what they actually have, they are losing. And still they have to pay taxes on that loss because it looks like a, a profit. And at the same time, of course, wages will eventually catch up or at least adjust a little bit to inflation. So wages go up, but probably not as much as, as, uh, as the prices themselves. So you have less left over in terms of purchasing power every month, but you have a higher salary, so you're in a higher tax bracket. So you're paying, paying more taxes, even though you're making less money in terms of purchasing power. So it's it's a it's a sneaky way, and some people have called it uh, a way of taxing without actually having a tax rate, right? Because you're you're taxing people, and you're taking away uh, value that they have and value that they earn without them even recognizing. And that's sort of how how it was used from the beginning too. Uh, you have people like John Maynard Keynes and other economists arguing for inflation because they said wages are sticky so if if there's a lot of unemployment and and the, the the wage rate or wages should adjust down because they're they're a little too high well no one is going to no renegotiate their employment contract to have a lower salary and employers can do that sort of as an ultimatum that well, we will need to fire 10 percent of you or you accept lower salary but that's not going to be a a a reduction in in wages overall so he he basically claimed that well if government undermines and dilutes the value of the currency then wages will go down without workers noticing so it's sort of a trick too so and it's it's pretty nasty when you think about it especially when you think about the measures too so they're hiding how much it is while undermining what we own and taking it for themselves basically too depending on who 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 they are so knowing all this now you're having a business you need to function you you have employees you probably may need to buy some capital goods then you have to also price your products and you have to survive in the market and maybe even try to make some profits and, and keep your investors happy and pay some dividends and pay some taxes and uh, the list goes on. So how to, how to survive, how to navigate, any practical tips, how the people did that in, in the past, what can be done? Knowing that this is happening, now you know that, you cannot deny it anymore, but you have the pain that you know it's going to happen and it's too big for you that you sort of have to adjust your own business you just cannot run away from it well i think the rule number one in business is be lucky 
right? Because if, if you're lucky, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so should I buy a lottery ticket and check whether I'm lucky, or what? What do you mean by that? No, I mean, if, I mean, if you look at because you asked what have people done in the past that worked out? Well, I mean, they probably didn't have a strategy for how to deal with the things, but they happened to end up doing something that turned out to be good. Uh, and 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 in that sense, they were lucky. But as long as prices are going up and you expect prices to go up, then you should make sure to keep your sales contracts with as as short time span as possible. So not fixed prices on your outputs, but keep as long-lasting, long-term contracts as possible with your suppliers. Because if those prices go up, Well, if you have a, a contract stating the price for 10 years into the future, you're sort of safe, at least un until your supplier goes bankrupt. But the same thing the other way around, that if you have uh, a sales contract and selling and, and the price is already stated in the contract for 10 years ahead, you're screwed if inflation is 10 or 20% or whatever it might be. That you, you, It's, it's going to eat into your profits and probably cause a loss And, and a greater and greater loss. <clears throat> so it, you should keep your sales prices flexible so that you can increase them whenever it's possible and keep your input prices or, or, or the, the, your costs basically fixed to the degree possible. Of course, this, is, this does not mean looking at official statistics and even less listening to the Federal Reserve, what they say that might be Um, what 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 their sort of analysis or prediction of of the the inflation rate will be because they're practically always wrong right and they say that oh th things will look th things look fine in the future and this is just transitory and whatever it is and and they're always wrong so you sort of have have to have a a feel for how this works and 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 make basically rely on your entrepreneurial judgment. What do you think might happen? And, and, and here, I think the, on, the only way you can do this really is, is by being out there and talking to people and picking up those signals, which are, I mean, they're difficult. No one is going to tell you what the inflation rate is going to be or how it's going to affect you, but you're going to hear on the grapevine people are struggling among your suppliers maybe or your competitors whatever it is or this other industry that is related to yours they're they're thinking of raising prices so you see that things are sort of happening but it hasn't really shown yet in the in the statistics then then you can act based off of that using your judgment what do you expect from the future and then adjust your situation um I would say that learning proper sound economics is also a good idea to just understand where these business cycles come from, how they work. Because otherwise you you might be screwed and you might listen too much to authority in a sense. I mean, I think too many business owners and founders, uh, they they listen to the news and the, the uh, inflation rate that is reported by whatever government agency is calculating the the price level in that basket and and then thinking oh how should i deal with this well th then it's already too late you, you should be in the future you should always think in in how how am i going to be positioned and what can happen right so i have these 
scenarios and to have those scenarios and be not just completely uh, unconnected with reality, you, you need some theory, some framework to understand what is going on. And, and, and to me, that is Austrian economics and, and the Austrian theory of the business cycle. So you can sort of expect that things will happen. So as soon as you see that, yeah, things are, are starting to move a little bit and things are, people are starting to talk about it in, in certain ways that sort of indicate that things are, are happening, then, then you, you can immediately see that, or at least you can have an, form an expectation of what might happen and sort of respond to it before it happens which is super important, of course. That sounds so simple, but I'm already <laughs> yeah. thinking, for example, just, just an example that uh, we've been having a, quite a lot of uh, supply chain shocks and, and resources are scarce in, in, in some, in, for example, timber. It's been hard to find just like a simple timber. You know, we are now in a Nordics here in Finland, for example, or, or you know, in this region, which is like almost like forest. And, and yet, you know, there's uh, somehow, it, you know, you cannot find wood and it is difficult to get that. Uh, so, and there's also some other, other supply chain issues at the moment. Sometimes maybe there are, the products are not coming from China because of uh, things happening in China at the moment or the logistics are not working. So there are, how do you differentiate the signals which are basically maybe manufacturing issues? It's just too much, uh, too little supply or too high demand what's inflation and and what's and, and then there could be also like some industries are starting to boom like their new industries so it's like it's just more demand it's a new thing and it's not like a generic inflation thing going so i already lost count how many different variables there were but probably like among four or five so you expect the regular founder to sort of have a you know rule of thumb you know how, how, how to do that or do they need to call you or some other economist to, to figure this thing out no 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 don't call an economist that, that's that's not going to be helpful at all <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're the ones calculating these things and, and making predictions that are wrong so so that's not going to help i mean it's it's basically putting putting your ear to the ground and, and trying to figure that out and and I mean, what really what you're you're talking about is why economists used to have a different definition of inflation, because they were trying to separate what is actually dilution of of money or and, and money's purchasing power versus other things that affect, like like you mentioned, supply chain problems or maybe a booming industry and 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 maybe just demand for something went up for some reason. People it was a fad or what what have you. All of those things. Uh, can push prices up, but that's not inflation. It, it's it's different, right? So, so sometimes you want to want to ride those those uh, waves too, and sometimes you want to stay away from them. So knowing what they are is, I mean, no one in business believes that the market is sort of a a calm water where nothing is going on. Um, it's only economistic equilibrium models that look like that. Uh, so, so there's always stuff happening, and you're always adjusting to those things, trying to stay ahead. Um, and then inflation adds more problems to that, of course, because it undermines the purchasing power of money. And 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 that's that's like broadly or generally throughout the economy, but it's not going to happen at the same time everywhere. 
So, so when I say that money's purchasing power is going down, it's going to be going down with respect to some goods first and other goods later. So it, it, it will have to work its way through the economy before you see the final result. And, and, and then the question is just in what order will prices be adjusted to this and, and how soon and, and to what extent? And that's not really possible to say, but, but knowing what, and sort of having that intuition that business people tend to have and no knowledge of not only their business but their industry and what is going how things usually work and seeing that wait a minute something looks fishy something looks weird it's a little off why and have conversations with people in in the industry other experts not necessarily economists <laughs> but other people and and, <laughs> and uh, figuring out how could I deal with this? And, and then just draft those scenarios in your head and, and try to figure that out. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely not easy. I mean, like you said, it's, it's, it's easy to talk about perhaps, but it's not easy to do. Um, and, and, and that's why inflation is, 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 is uh, so nasty. But it, it changes the very variable or the very sort of institution that we all rely on, money. And money is, is one side of every damn transaction in the economy. And now someone is manipulating the value of that, that, that side. So everything else is going to be affected, but how and when, we, we don't know. And, and that, that screws up the whole picture, it makes business so much harder. How about if could I actually avoid a bit of the inflation if I would, let's say that I'm in Eurozone, for example, or it doesn't matter, maybe in the US. That's how I'm charging. I'm, 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 you know, my customers are paying in that currency, US or Euros. But what if I would actually use employees, freelancers, people outside of the currency zone? So they're like in Asia or they're in different parts of the world and we are not using using their local currency, for example, to pay them. Would I avoid some of the costs of inflation by doing this? Could, could this give me some advantage so I could actually somehow avoid the full effect? You can. I mean, the, the, the problem is, will they have inflation too? And how much? So, so you're still, I mean, you're still, you're speculating, right? And it's the same thing with, with any international business that currency fluctuations well, who knows exactly what is moving the, the currencies up and down compared to each other? We can't really tell. And I mean, now we're seeing inflation. We're seeing inflation pretty much everywhere. It's at different rates, but the baskets are different too. So <laughs> who knows exactly how they are different anyway? Uh, and, and I mean, the US, we, we, we have the, the benefit of having the only, in a sense, hard currency. I'm not using that in a, in a technical sense because it's not backed in anything, but it's the only world currency, which means that if there's a lot more money being produced in the US, a lot more dollars, they tend to uh, go into other countries too, through oil markets and all kinds of, of uh, world markets, because a lot of people need dollars to trade with American companies or trade use uh, trade with oil and what have you so people outside the country will want to hold dollars which 
means that it's not going to have as much of an effect in the U.S. on prices. So inflation rate will be lower simply because a lot of those money will go somewhere else. Whereas if you have other countries, I mean, especially smaller countries like Sweden and Sweden's krona or or any any such country that is small and dependent on trade, then if you produce a whole lot more kroner, it's not going to be the case that a lot of people abroad are are going to say, yay, let's hold a lot of Swedish kroners. <laughs> it's going to be the other way around. They only will buy it if they're going to trade with some some company in Sweden. It's, it's, it's not a currency to hold. And then you're you're in much greater trouble. Right? So Americans sort of are, and have been for a long time, um, benefiting from this status as, as economic superpower because people want to hold dollars. And and people hold dollars in in oil too. I mean, we can get into conspiracy theories about oil markets and why they're using dollars and 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 not euros or, or gold or what have you. But but it is the fact that they do use uh, dollars. So so dollars will be held by other countries, by other by foreign corporations, and and a little bit all over the place. So the short answer is that I, I can, there's no cheat codes, there's no shortcuts. To, I cannot basically do anything else to be smarter with my business and try to be more quick with my price adjustments and cut costs quicker and, and just... Yeah, I mean, that, that is important to basically stay out of, of long-term sales contracts. So whatever you're selling, right? So, and, and make sure to have as many as possible if you can. Uh, from your suppliers but other than that I mean since we're talking about a, a a currency or a money that is losing its purchasing power something else to do is to not hold currency right so if you instead hold things it's because inflation means that the, the, the number of dollars it takes to buy things is increasing so each dollar is worth less. Well, then hold things instead of hold holding dollars. Uh, and and, and so that's should usually... I buy stable coins? <laughs> well, I mean, you could you you could try whatever, but any type of asset really, uh, maybe not stable coins, but I mean, you you could buy land, uh, buy gold, buy cars, what have you. I mean, anything that that would sort of retain. Uh, the market value, not necessarily expressed in the currency, but in terms of of, of value compared to other goods. So, if, I mean, it might be hard because you you still have bills to pay and everything using currency. But whatever you have left over, and whatever you don't need in terms of liquidity right now, it might be a good idea to have assets instead, because the assets will at least not fall in value. And it's like a car, which usually is, you know, if it's not like a classic car, which is like already, you know, appreciating value. But usually these regular consumer goods are actually not a good investment. Right. In but buying a new car from the dealer yeah. and then you lose 30% as soon as you you just sign the contract, that might not be a good idea. <laughs> but I mean, we saw that no, here, no. In, here in the US not long ago, right, where, where the used cars skyrocketed in price suddenly no so holding a bunch of used cars at that point i mean 
it's like any speculation really which asset should you be holding uh but it it might make sense to hold something that you think might will go up a lot or it might make sense to hold something that you think will not move a lot at all especially when when the the money is is going down so what's your prediction what's going to happen in the future and I, I think i already probably learned that i should not ask from an economist but i i i'm still a bit dumb so i'm i'm, I'm you know repeating my mistakes so how do you what do you think is going to happen in the future you know it, it looks like that the u.s government has been printing a lot of uh these uh, special metal uh, tokens which are was it uh, one trillion tokens or you know are they tokens actually are they like uh, you know they're actually physical tokens, like uh, almost like a cryptos, but just for the atom world. Uh, and so, w- what's going to happen in the future? Are they going to keep on doing that, or and, and the same with euros? So, are we somehow getting rid of this COVID time also in the monetary policy? So, what sort of your feeling? Of what's going to happen in the future? Well, the the problem is not only that you're asking an economist, but you're asking an Austrian economist. And Austrian economics is about understanding the economy and not predicting exactly what's going to happen because we don't believe you can because people behave in different ways and they react in different ways. Um, and also, I'm not a macroeconomist, <laughs> so I, I focus on entrepreneurship. So what is going on in the economy overall, that's uh, not really my uh, my expertise. I mean, it's actually, but are they actually macroeconomists in Austrian economy? No, you're right. They're they're not. So you need you need to know a little <laughs> bit of everything. But but since I'm in academia, you have to specialize no. in something, right? And I'm specializing in sort yeah, of the, the micro of the micro uh, entrepreneurship and starting new businesses. But it, it's exactly correct what you said that the central banks all over the world have been creating a ton of money lately. And it's not only COVID, it's basically since the financial crisis back in 07, 08, around there. So, I mean, we've had this quantitative easing where they have been, when we say they use the printing press and they print money, of course, that's not what they do. It's all computers now. So they just create uh, money in, in, a, in a bank account somewhere. Um, and I mean, when, when you get a mortgage for your house, it's not the case that they move the money from somewhere else. They just create that money in your account, which, of course, immediately goes to the seller of the house. Um, so it's new money. And that, of course, dilutes the, the value of, of the currency itself. Uh, and they've been doing this for a long time. And people have been saying that, well, see, it's, it's no big deal because we have no inflation. Because the, the basket, the price of the, of the goods in the basket ha- has not gone up. Well, I mean, that's, this all depends on banks' behaviors. How much money are banks? Do banks have in their accounts? How much money do they offer in, in out into circulation? How many businesses are actually taking out loans and getting the money to spend on stuff? How much are consumers spending uh, on goods? So, I mean, the more the money gets out there and is being used in transactions, the more effect it's going to have. So. You can't really time these things at all if they say when it's going to happen. But I think what we are seeing is is a correction of, of, of pricing overall, which really means a pricing of the currency. So the, the dollar and all the other currencies too, because we have had interest rates at zero or negative even, which is just weird. 
um, because of that. And that, I mean, they do that by pre- creating a whole lot of new money. That's how they push down interest rates. And that money has to go somewhere. It's not just uh, disappearing. So when that starts hitting, um, I mean, say it goes into one industry first because they take up a lot of loans and they, they're entrepreneurs there that see opportunities and they, they get a lot of that money. Well, they're going to spend that money on something, their suppliers probably, uh, their workers, what, what have you. And they are going to spend it somewhere else. And, and that's going to affect prices because they're going to bid for prices with all this extra money and they're going to be able to buy buy resources and buy goods first. Uh, and that's going to cause others, cause those producers to, to try to produce more, which means, of course, they increase their demand for for resources. And then eventually it's going to sort of like ripples on, on a pond if you throw a rock, right? It's going to go through the whole thing, but exactly it's not going to be as as circular and nice as on a pond. Uh, it's going to depend on how people act. So, I mean, what, we're do- what we are seeing, I think, is a correction uh, to this new money. Um, I mean, the, the follow-up question that you asked, are they going to continue to create money? Well, I don't, I don't think they have a, a choice. I mean, f- first of all, they, they don't understand what is going on. So, so they're just guessing. They have these very simple models and they're all equations. And to me, as an entrepreneurship scholar, you can't really put entrepreneurs or any action into an equation because we don't behave exactly as the variables. So, so any equation is going to be wrong. Yeah, we are not exactly like a variable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> at and, least and, constants, at least. And, yeah. and we tend we to be... like the, the choker card. Right, and we tend to be unpredictable, right? I mean, anyone no, has tried to predict, say, go dating or something, and that's just one person. And you just can't ex- you can't understand exactly what they're thinking and how they're going to react to that next present or the next restaurant that you picked or whatever it is. You have no clue. You can study them forever and you still don't know. But they think that they can put the whole economy into an equation, and that's of course absurd. Um, so, so they're trying to to use these aggregate uh, variables for the whole economy, based on the assumption that oh everything will sort of balance out in some magical mysterious sense and of course that's very problematic but then they're then even worse is that they're trying to adjust those variables to recreate balances and 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 tamper with this uh variable over here so that the variable on the other side goes up or down of course that's not how aggregates work at all that's sort of the opposite of of even the meaning of aggregate Right? <laughs> that's that's not how it works. So <clears throat> the, the the methods they have and the tools that they have are super crude, uh, and and I don't think they ever get the results that they think. And we've seen that now. Then when they try to push interest rates down to uh, cause different things and cause more employment and things like that, and they push them down and push them down and push them down. And they're like, we don't know what is going on because it's not happening. We, what we thought and all the models said would happen, it didn't happen. So they pushed them down below zero, <clears throat> which is no one thought was possible, but they did it anyway. Uh, and still it didn't really happen. So, so thinking that they can somehow just pull back and, and uh, tamper with other variables to, to fix things I think that's um well that's naive let's put it that way and 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 that's uh 
uh, I'm definitely not exaggerating <laughs> when I'm saying it's naive. So what can they do? I mean, they, they can just continue creating money to cover the government's um, expenses and their, their debts. And, and, and I mean, that's basically what they're doing now, isn't it? They've borrowed this much money so, and they're creating new money to cover the interest rate on the loans that they have. Of course, that's that's not sustainable for any person. It's not sustainable for government either, even though uh, some obscure theories claim that it is. Um, the previous episode we did together, there was kind of a cliffhanger. We were talking so long that it was uh, better to stop for a while, and oopsie, now it's like two years later. And uh, you were saying that uh, there was kind of a scam happening that uh, all mm -hmm. the currencies are basically backed by all the other currencies. And, and then you were saying that, um, I'm checking here the notes, the transcript, and, and, and for all the, the audience who hasn't actually checked the episode, it, it was an awesome episode. I, well, I'm probably a bit biased, but, but you know, maybe Pat will also agree. So we are almost like in a maturity, 100% uh, yes, agreeing that, you know, it's an awesome <laughs> episode, so you probably should check it out. Uh, but, uh, we sort of stopped uh, the discussion there and, and you, what you were saying that uh, as soon as people stop trusting uh, the, the government, the, the money of the government, which they're print, printing, uh, which is basically worth exactly just uh, uh, what the piece of paper is worth with the ink on it. So it's, it's you know, worth nothing. Then that's going to be a huge problem. So uh, you, you concluded by saying that if we have a depression like crisis again, I'm not sure I want to see what happens. Uh, the markets are going down. There's obviously the war happening now, Russia and Ukraine. And uh, then there's the supply chain things happening. Inflation is going up. Uh, there, there's a lot of these things happening at the same time. They're probably not exactly from the same causes, but they are kind of accumulating as a focal point. Focus point. And so are we heading towards a depression? Is this actually the, the long run? The, some gentleman in the early uh, 2000, uh, 20th century was saying that, you know, we should never worry about because it's just so far away that, you know, it's, it's just you know, practically, you know, nothing. Right. That's the, um, what I once referred to as the pee in your pants economics. <laughs> and as, as someone, someone living in the north like yourself, you can understand what I'm talking about, that when it's really cold outside and you're freezing, being in your pants will give you some warmth. Might might not be comfortable in other ways, but it, it will give you warmth. Uh, but temporarily, then it will get even worse because you're wet and it's cold. All right. So, so, so it, how many times you can do this? It's really getting disgusting now. But you know, so you're yeah. saying that we constantly being in our pants and there's in the know, cold, no end yeah. on, on site. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and that's what we have been doing. I mean, the it, each of these. A big crisis that we've seen, uh, not starting with, but for for me, it was sort of one of the the first ones that I experienced myself, the dot com bubble in ninety nine two thousand. Um, that one burst, and then they had the housing crisis, the financial crisis, and and I mean now who knows what is what is happening? And they're getting bigger and bigger because you're we're well we are not, but they are sort of trying to. Uh, cover the pro cover up the problem by 
creating more, right? So the, you have this bubble bursting uh, and the, the problems, the, the distortions throughout the economy uh, cause the bust. And then they print a whole lot more money to just make sure that sort of the wheels start turning. That's something that, that they often say, right? Uh, so entrepreneurs get a lot more money and then they can start doing things again and people uh, afford, can afford consuming again. And, and then you basically create a new bubble on top of, of the old one. And of course, it has to be bigger. So so they get bigger and bigger and, and it's going to be more and more painful to get rid of it. But are we heading towards a dep- depression? Sure. But when? Is it this one or is it the next one? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, but it, it's... I think the guy you quoted was was right there that <laughs> that uh, the the last great depression it it was bad, really bad, but it was during a time when currencies were backed in something. So the money you had in your pocket, they were redeemable in precious metals. So you could go to a bank and say, "Hey, I'm not going to have these." pieces of paper anymore i'm going to get the actual gold that they represent right and when you can do that well i mean gold is not going to disappear and and people like gold gold emerged as a, a, a money an international money for a reason because people like it and people consider it valuable they use it for different things i mean we use it in industry in computers we use it for for jewelry we use it for all kinds of things and it's easy to to use too, uh, so at least then you had sort of that lower uh, limit to what could happen to the currency, because so you could always people could always go to the bank and and they could go if if they thought that a bank was manipulating the currency, there were many more dollar bills say than there were actual gold coins in the vaults. They would rush to the bank and try to get the gold coins before. Well, trying to not be the last one because then you wouldn't get any. Uh, and those bank runs would cause a, well devastation for for those banks that were not uh, uh, solid that would that would did not have the actual backing, right? So if they had created a lot more money, then then they could not uh, pay people the gold that they owed them. Now. Uh, Paper currencies are not based in anything, and and it's it's not even the case that we use paper currency any, anymore either. We we use just digital, so it's it's just a little bit of magnetism on some hard drive somewhere, which of course means that you can create a whole lot more very easily, and you can take people's money away pretty easily too, and it's not backed in anything at all, nothing whatsoever. And then you have, then of course you have the, the discussion on, on uh, central bank digital coins, which is, is a new thing now, which is sort of following the whole crypto thing, but from a central central banking perspective, where central banks want to replace these digital uh, amounts that are on hard drives with some crypto algorithm instead, so that they can basically control each coin centrally. And uh, the Bank of England said something about this, that this is this is a beautiful technology because if you don't spend your money often enough or a, a big big enough fraction of your savings, 
they can just tap, tap, tap on the computer and then your savings go away. Right, so they can force you to spend on stuff you, that you don't want, but you'd rather have stuff that you don't want than nothing left at all. Right, so of course you would choose it, which means they can micromanage the economy so you can't really save money for a rainy day at all. If they want you to spend, you will have to spend. If they want to uh, make someone rich, they'll just make someone rich. If they want to make someone poor, they'll just make someone poor. Um, from the central bank's headquarters. And I think that is super scary because it's not, not only is all, all uh, privacy gone completely, uh, and same, same, same thing with personal finance. You are no longer the master of your own money, your own purchasing power. Uh, so, so this is, if, if and when people figure out that this can be and probably is being um, used by by actors in bad faith, this will probably force the economy back to barter. I, 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 that wouldn't surprise me because people would, would shun this money because it doesn't matter where you have it, the central bank can still go in and take it from you or just dissolve it or double it maybe too. But and, and and that's that's really scary because that that takes takes the consumer and takes the individual out of the economy and that whole equation really. We become sort of well, anti. It sounds like a complete total madness. Yeah, so you, and, you and, actually and, think that they're gonna carry it out? Yeah, that, that's the thing. When I think about it too, maybe I'm, I'm old-fashioned, but I think of it too as this is just crazy. This why would anybody? think that this is a good thing and, and why would they want to try this at all? But they're all trying it. So I mean, there most central banks are working on some sort of digital currency that's going to be based on sort of some, some kind of crypto algorithm thing so that they can control each and every coin, so to speak. And, and I mean, the Bank of England said that this is a great benefit of it is that we can control each and every coin. And, and they, they believe apparently so much in their equations and formulas um, that it will be better for everyone if they do this. Um, and, and I think what, what they're really saying is that they have discovered that their models don't quite work because people don't behave the way they should according to the models, right? So when they change some variables or the interest rate or what have you, and people do not spend on these goods that remain unsold, then the model didn't work. And people should have because we provided them with the incentive or, or changed those variables, whatever. But if they can force us to do it, then the models will work. Of course, that's, that's not really a banking system serving the population anymore. It's the population serving the banking system. And, and that to me is... I mean, it's authoritarian, it's totalitarian, it's dictatorship. It's a finance-based dictatorship. Uh, and, and it's super scary, but to them, the central bankers, and, and I mean, they're, they're the central planners of, of our age. To them, it's, a, it's a, 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 an advantage for the economy because they can create the economy that they, they, they want, or at least they think so, right? They, they really believe it. So what's the out of this situation? What's the getaway 
uh, are we just gonna <coughs> need to move our assets to Bitcoin and uh, not central bank controlled cryptos or should we just uh, buy all the gold in the world or what what, what are the alternatives? Well, I mean, there, there are plenty of alternatives. There's a reason, I think, why, why they want to regulate all those things, right? That they want to make sure that Bitcoin does not become a currency, uh, that people don't buy gold. Uh, I mean, there people have been talking about how the gold uh, market price has been manipulated since, well, at least since the gold standard disappeared or was, was done away with, rather. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's the same thing as as any inflation. I mean, this kind of control over the currency means that you're better off the the less you have to do with the currency, because you, you, that means you're less exposed. So th- that's why I sort of hyp- hypothesized or, sp- or speculated that this will lead to some kind of barter trade, because people would rather trade a thing for another thing than have money in their pocket that might disappear at any moment. And they would, of course, not accept that type of money for something that they're selling because it might just disappear at any moment. I mean, you're sort of, you're just getting uncertainty. And, and, and that's, that's really the behavior we're seeing in hyperinflation, right? that everybody's trying to stay away from the money. So in, in, in some situations, <clears throat> you, you can't escape the money, so maybe you have a job and you get paid. But as we saw in the Weimar Republic and we've seen in other countries more recently where, where there's hyperinflation, as soon as you get that money in your hand, you immediately rush to the store and buy something before the prices increase because they change the, the prices several times every day. Right? And you buy whatever is there. It doesn't really matter because uh, toilet paper is going to be toilet paper tomorrow too, but your money is not going to be money tomorrow. Uh, and, and the same thing if you undermine people's trust in the currency with uh, central banking, central bank digital, digital coins and, and this type of micromanaging, then people are going to shun those, those currencies too and, and do other things. So are they, are they going to move into private uh, cryptos? Probably, some of them at least. Are they going to sort of revert to gold and silver coins and maybe junk silver as they call it like old old government coins that had a certain certain fraction uh, of silver in them like american quarters before 1964 i think they have a certain amount of of silver in them so they're worth a whole lot more than a quarter so if you find one then keep it right and and, and those things you can use to trade with cuz people know well this is actually silver in there so it's, it's something right or will it just be mean buying stuff and buying things to make sure that you have to just trade with people. I mean, pe- people will, I think people will choose different strategies or a mix of them. Which one will end up being the biggest one? I don't know. I, I hope it's going to be some, some kind of money. I mean, now we're talking sort of doomsday scenarios, but, but it, it's, it's, it's way too easy to see how it could get there. Put it that way. Yeah, I was just starting to think that I wasn't expecting, you know, our episode to go so dark. But then I was like, hey, hmm, two and a half years ago, we were not exactly thinking that, you know, some, some stuff would happen. And then suddenly right. COVID hit and, and our reality changed. 
and it, it changed again at least in the Europe, uh, maybe worldwide as well. You know, twenty fourth of February earlier this year. Yeah, who would have thought two two years uh, ago that that not only would everybody be locked up in their homes, but people would welcome it. So yeah. you can't really tell. And when we are seeing this technology, that it is being developed in the banking sector, especially central banks and so forth. And we have statements from the people on the inside, such as this statement from the Bank of England, um, saying that, oh, this is great. We can micromanage what's in people's accounts and wallets. Fantastic. Of course. And we're also seeing uh, quite a high uh, inflation numbers with that new method they're using. For example, in Estonia, it's in the 20% at the moment. So obviously, there's a, there's a lot of uh, commodities people are using. Electricity is really high. The, the heating is expensive. The, the gas for the, for the cars, all these things you need to buy. The food is going up as well in price. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of this happening now. And if it's going to accelerate even further, um, something must give because it's, it's not sustainable if your prices, uh, I mean, your salaries are not going up. So you, you just cannot live forever like this. Right. And, and, and that's, so, and that's, an, that's a, an argument. Well, it's, an, it, it's something that will probably lead to a political argument for some kind of universal basic income. And that the, the government provides everybody with a handout so that they don't have to work because there are no jobs or something like that. So, so I can see that as a potential outcome too. On the other hand, I think it, it can also completely reverse its course. That people more and more so say, screw this. This, this, is, uh, this is not working. Why would we trust these people who have scammed us all along and have caused all these problems? Uh, we'll just use something else. We'll just revert to gold. We'll just use Bitcoin and, and all these other private cryptocurrencies instead. And screw the dollar, screw the euro, screw the whatever. So I can see that as potential ha potentially happening too, which would be, from my perspective, a whole lot better, and it would be a much sounder economy. So, so it, it could go down the tubes. It could go completely dark. It could also be that it's just going to be a little darker, but then there is a light in the tunnel, and that's that's actually the exit and not a train, right? Yeah, and, and nothing prevents us basically trading in Bitcoin instead of US dollar or, or euros. It's up to us to do that. Right, exactly. So we, we don't actually need to use, and, and that's actually the, the power we have. So basically we can just decide uh, either we use bananas or we use Bitcoin or gold or silver. It's, it's up to us, whatever we decide to choose as a medium of exchange. Exactly. And I have a hard time, I think, I mean, people might think that it's a good idea that, that central banks uh, adopt modern technology and things like that. And I mean, why not? Uh, technology makes you more effective and productive and what have you. But when they say that, well, oh, with this new digital version of our currency, which we're just moving to right now, we can make your money disappear out of your pocket. I mean, just saying that, I don't see why anyone would think that's a good idea. Of course, they're gonna they're gonna launch this as a way of getting rid of uh, money laundering and taking 
uh, criminals' money away from them, right? So, so saving us from gangs and saving us from the mafia and things like that. I mean, that's, that's probably how they're going to sell this. But we're going to be using the same type of currency. And if that starts happening, I mean, imagine if the tax tax agency can just decide how much taxes you owe and just take it from you. Not when you can afford it, but when they think they should just take it. That's, uh, that's a scary thought, because, <laughs> I mean, we need liquidity to survive and live, so we could just be pushed into homelessness and, and starvation uh, at literally just a strike on, on, a, on a keyboard somewhere by someone we don't know, or it could be just an algorithm that just penalizes all those with tax debt. I mean, it could could be automatic too. So, when this starts, this type of thing starts happening, and and that this it is the ex, explicit purpose of these CBDCs to do this. So it it will happen. So as soon as people start realizing that it's happening to people around them, I, I don't I don't see why they would continue using those things. It would rather be the case that they try to buy stuff with them. Which is the point too, right? They, they want us to consume because they think that creates wealth. It's also a, a a a very bad theory, but that's what they believe. So we start to consume, which means we might spend everything to buy goods instead. They can't really, like you said, they, they can't take the bananas out of our pockets as easily as they can just destroy coins, digital coins that are in our cell phones, right? So they. To steal our bananas, they will have to punch us on the nose first. And people have a harder time with that than just something mysteriously disappearing. But it's super dark. It sounds to me that the. Yeah, it is. I think we have to sort of uh, shift gears here. So I was thinking that uh, is it so that the mainstream economics fiscal and monetary policy, the whole doctrine of fiat money with central banking is completely, utterly, morally bankrupt. And we just have to get rid of all these things now because it's it's like the end of the line. Well, I mean, the short answer is yes, I think so. Uh, so economics is, is supposed to be a, a field of study serving mankind helping us understand what is going on around us because economies are just natural. It's people exchanging stuff and people producing. And the more people there are with specialization and so forth, we can start producing what we're good at producing, even if we don't want what we're producing ourselves. But we can trade it with others who want that stuff. So we can increase productivity enormously and, and create general universal prosperity, I mean, which we have seen too. Uh, so that happens without all of these things pretty much right so so uh, economics uh, try to explain what the heck is going on and why is it happening this way and what are these weird phenomena we're seeing why is, why are there business cycles in this should there really be i mean trying to help us understand what is going on to help make to make sense of the world and modern economics is not about that modern economics is is about um really generating and supporting policy so trying to it's it's really the the art of central planning in a sense using statistics because 
economics is really, I mean, most economists probably are involved in running huge data sets, trying to predict what is the outcome of this policy versus that policy, and how can you tweak the policy to get the actual outcome you want. That's what a lot of economists are working on. I mean, when I was, um, I might have said this in, in the previous episode I was in, but when I was in grad school studying towards my PhD, uh, I was in a department where there were several researchers and a lot of grad students too, working on this huge database, uh, collecting a lot of data on, on the agricultural sector in the US. So they had satellite images of fields, they had surveys and the, with farmers asking them, what, what did you plant, what are you, what are you growing, why, and things like that. And then based off of these, they ran these uh, database uh, procedures trying to figure out, okay, what will the pr future prices of corn versus cotton versus soybeans and everything be in a year? Because we sort of know that if you plant this many seeds, unless there's a, sort of a really dry or really wet year, it's going to give us this type of yield, right? So uh, using this data, they could figure out that, oh, wait a minute, then the corn is going to be a little too expensive or more expensive than before and cotton a little more cheaper than before. And maybe we need a little more cotton. So, so they would uh, streamline and, and, and sort of tweak the subsidies to different agricultural products so that they could make farmers produce what the government thought they should produce. And, and that's basically what, what, what economists are doing today, a whole lot of them, whether they are working in an insurance company, they're trying to tweak uh, what types of, of, of events will cause, what types of payouts, what will the premium be, how can we figure out how, how, how to make customers pay enough Right and things like that, or they work in banks, or they work in government agencies, and they're all trying to predict the future in this way using statistics. And this has nothing at all to do with understanding the world. They're just assuming that the world will sort of repeat itself over and over again, because they're using historical data trying to predict the future, which of course is impossible when you're dealing with human behavior. And entrepreneurs, founders who are building new stuff, doing things nobody has imagined before, and everybody basically is, is capable of doing new things and changing their behavior and patterns. And, and we do, right? We, we do every day. Yeah. We're responding to these things, and we see things, we imagine things, and we, we change our dreams and whatnot else. I mean, if you think, think about it historically, you, you can say, okay, so when, when Apple launched the first iPhone and changed completely the, the landscape for for uh, cell phones and that type of communication, why didn't Samsung just hire a bunch of economists to make sure that they could see this coming? <laughs> well, it's obvious, right, that they couldn't see this coming, even though the iPhone no. was really a continuation of the iPod and so forth. Right? So in retrospect, we could see this coming, but we had no clue that pe how people would respond to this new idea or how it was needed to be sold and, and how it would evolve and whether it would be a success or not. All of these things had no clue, right? So it, yeah, it, and, and even the bigger ones, like the simple stuff, like the housing crisis, it's like, you know, quite sort of simple, consider the thinking what's happening with the uh, consumer behavior with the new, new, new innovation. But, you know, we're still building houses. We've always been building houses as long as we knew how to build houses. 
And, and that's kind of a stable market that the basic concept is still the same. You still have a certain amount of people and you have, a, you know, some, some, some stock of houses. And if, if you're building more, you know, it, it could be, I, I guess, more simple even for economists to, to you know, figure out what's going to happen. But, but yet we had this huge bubble and the crash. And we have ghost cities in China where they build whole cities uh, because they think that's that's a good idea. And they probably calculated that it would be a good idea to have a city of this size in this area, right? And then it would be whatever socioeconomic calculus they made. And they have the power to force people to go there too. And still they're ghost cities. I mean, so you, you and there's can't... there's a huge economic... It's not just economic, it's also ecological issue with this. Building stuff, using resources, for example, concrete is is a really bad thing, basically, with the CO2. And, 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 and these are useless. And what I understood that some of these cities, they actually just now tearing them apart, breaking them right. and, and you know, just completely demolishing them. Nobody ever lived in those. Yeah, right. And I, I mean, I've seen I've seen interviews with with people who actually moved there, like some poor guy who who moved there to start like a, a neighborhood grocery store. Well, he, he gets a shipment of groceries, but then he's gonna sit there alone because there's <laughs> there's no one living there and there's no one in the streets or anything. So he's not gonna be there for very long, right? So he he will need a lot of subsidies just to stay there. But even he, where would he get? Uh, groceries and services and things like that because there's no one else around so you would need to move somewhere else to actually have a decent a standard of living i mean it's it's definitely not the case that the, that history predicts the future and we know this we've known this for hundreds of years it's it's nothing strange and yet here we are uh, after the fall of the soviet union and we're trying to centrally plan the whole freaking thing because now we have supercomputers no it doesn't well, work we're digitalizing now the central planning it's it's not the same thing when we were using pen and papers now we have hey these computers and ai and now we can do better right and it's going to be it's going to be a, a bigger disaster because it's going to affect more people and that's that's the only result that i can see out of this uh, it's definitely not going to create some utopia uh, uh, and it's not going to create the garden of eden it's not going to help us deal with scarcity because it, it, it's just going to destroy people's lives and it's probably going to destroy lives too. So what can we do? I understood that you actually been writing a new book. So yeah. maybe learning some proper economics would help, I would assume. That's the whole. Uh, maybe reading yeah. your tweets would help. You've been trying to save the world one tweet at a time, or at least fix the economy issues one tweet at a time. I don't know how it's going, but uh, you you still keep on doing it, almost like per hour. So so I assume you 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 still believe that you can do that. Well, it, it might more be more my own uh, entertainment than anything else. But I I think if if I can change a couple of minds here and there. And if I can just get people into the right track in how to think about the economy, then then it's worth a lot. But of course, at the same time, you have all, all this this nonsense going on, um, and the media pumping out the the official version of everything, and and 
and they, most people believe in, in in these equations and everything like that. So it's about it's about uh, getting true and sound economic thinking and economic understanding out there. And I mean, I, I, in a sense, entrepreneurs I think have it have it sort of intuitively because they are exposed to and they need to understand what is going on around them and they respond to it. So so they have a much better understanding, even though they might not have the terminology, they might not be able to express exactly what is going on, but they sort of see it, they have a feel for it. So they, they can figure it out or be close enough. And and I mean, there are, like you mentioned, the, the book that uh, is going to be published later this year, still without a title, um, it's, it's supposed to be a, a very quick introduction to how to think about the economy, how to understand what the heck is going on and why. So it's it's, re- it's, it's really short, really simple. Um, the the uh, market for it or the my sort of imagined customer, the reader that I was trying to convince or provide with this knowledge was someone's grandma. So if someone is, is, is sort of a, an economics nerd, and, and sitting at, say, the Thanksgiving dinner table or something like that, and Grandma says, so what is this you're talking about? How, how, where do you get all this stuff? They should be able to just say, Here, here's a very short book, Grandma. Read this, and you'll understand. And Grandma should understand it. This, if, I, if I'm... So successful. what are you basically saying is that all the, so all the questions I was uh, throwing at your side, uh, basically, by reading the book, you, you can get uh, answers and, and even give uh, more smart answers that you were giving in, in this talk because you were like you know no it, it's not that simple <laughs> on the one hand and on the other hand right exactly and and i think economics is supposed to be a way of thinking it's a it's a way of understanding what is going on it's it's not about sifting through data it's not about statistical analysis it's not really about prediction it's not uh prognostication it's not any of these things and you can't really say exactly what's going to happen. If you could, you would probably start a business and make a whole lot of money off of it instead of being an economist. Uh, so, I mean, it's it, this book is my contribution to the world's understanding of what is going on around us. So it's, it, it doesn't in- include any answers. It includes a framework for how to find the answers, in a sense. And that's why it's so much more valuable, because... Uh... Per was so, so yeah. kind that uh, I, I had already a, a little bit of a peek to the book uh, before before we, we came online. So I, I can recommend it already by the, the few, few pages I was uh, managed, to, managed to check before we went online. But uh, certainly the Austrian economics is, is a really good way of understanding things. So it's, it's not like the mathematical mumbo jumbo and thinking things through yourself, I think it's just the most important thing. And, and that's what it actually gives you tools for. So you can you can see the, the causation and you can actually think it through. You don't have to remember anything. You can just basically start to put the blocks in place and, and start, to, to start to sort of walk yourself through the, the issues and things. And, and, you know, it's really powerful in that sense. And that's, that's what the Austrian economics is doing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is sort of what, what education is supposed to be about, too. That that you're not providing people with the content, but you're providing them with the means to understand themselves and draw conclusions from whatever it is that they're experiencing and the, whatever it is they're, that they're observing and understand it on their own terms. 
then of course if, if they don't like or don't appreciate or aren't even persuaded by the framework you're giving them then hey discard it it's it's up to them uh you can't really do that you're not supposed to just impose a view on them but provide them with the tools to think things through and, and see what is actually going on and that's that's what i try to do in my teaching and that's what what the book is intended to provide as well could we try to test that uh, what we just be saying and eat our own dog food staple coins i want to have something with web3 and uh, i haven't wrapped myself around them properly First of all, they've been around for many years, almost like 10 years, at least in the in the conceptual states. For me, it sounds like a fool's errand in a way that I, I don't I don't see a way that actually a stablecoin works in a proper way, in a way that it's it's not happening like what happened to the Luna. Uh, are there actually any stablecoins in a sense, in theoretical sense? Uh, have you have you looked into this topic, or should we actually use our little pray matter now and, and try to figure it out with the awesome Austrian economics and uh, tools and uh, what we know about money and value and and you know all these things? Well, I'm no, I'm I'm not up to date to that on that at all. So I'm not I'm not sure what that is about. But I mean, I can guess from just the the term what 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 it's trying to do, just to keep a stable purchasing power. Or something like that. Is that is that close? Yeah, the idea is that basically, uh, at least one part of it is uh, that you would have like uh, exactly like a fixed point that like uh, U.S. dollars, you pack it to the U.S. dollar, like the, usually the currencies were packed to, to to something, so so that you are not losing in value, for example, because Bitcoin might be going up and down rather rapidly and it's, it's difficult to trade for example between so stablecoins idea is that you don't take a currency risk if you will so it will be stable and the thing is that uh, there are obviously different ways how you can do that then that you the, the challenge obviously is that it's like a currency is that there's a supply and demand between with these coins if if, if if you're buying it and and you know some it needs to come from some stock or somebody needs to issue them and and what's the measuring point and when something happens with that and and, and because they are currencies as well uh in, in a meaning that they should be liquid so if somebody wants to move out of the position and it's a big position that that should be still happening and and, and the coins should still be stable keeping the back and uh that's the challenge and that's obviously the appeal of it uh it, in a way, kind of, I think uh, maybe it's not uh, a good comparison, but what, what uh, the, in the 70s, they were trying to put some baskets. I think Hayek was also suggesting along the lines that you, you could have a, some kind of a, a global index of, you know, of something out of the relativeness and have more like absolute value standard, which is more stable. Uh, I, for me, it sounds like a bit like a similar idea and... Uh, like in physics, there's no absolute time. Everything is relative, and, and when everything is relative, you 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 cannot really know what's up and down, what is up and what's down, and and you you cannot compare it to, to you know because there's no background to to make some measurements. So for me, it sounds like a bit of like a similar thing. Yeah, and I I can't say it makes sense to me at all. I mean, because we we used to have a world currency in 
or in gold and silver. And everybody used those. I mean, we, we called them different things. We called them dollars and pounds and so forth. But we still talked about there was weights in gold and silver. And this this was a world currency, so there were no currency fluctuations or anything like that. They were perhaps in, in, in terms of the, the bills, the paper bills that represented the coins because they were printing more bills. But the coins themselves were, they were completely stable. And... There were no fluctuations between countries. Except that so, they were, and uh, I think they, at least at some point in history, they wanted to have the ratio between the, the gold and silver coins fixed to have it more convenient, right. but that even didn't work. Right, and, and that's sort of a fool's errand, right? Because it, it, it assumes that the magnitudes or the volume of gold versus the volume of silver is going to be the same in terms of people's demand even. And of course, that's not the case. You can you can strike gold, literally find more gold somewhere and dig it out of the ground, but not silver. Well, that changes the the relationship between them. And the same thing if if you find a a new industrial use, say for silver, but not for gold, that's also going to change how much silver is available. It's going to change what people choose to use the silver for. So I mean, the, they have to fluctuate, and prices do fluctuate. They, they, you can. You can sign contracts to keep them stable for a while, but that's that's probably going to cause one of the parties to lose and the other party to win. Um, so, I mean, if you want something stable, you should have some, some kind of commodity money and something that most people will accept throughout the world, just like we used gold. It's it's not a panacea in the sense that you, nothing can happen because there was... There were, were sort of inflationary crises with gold too. Um, when, no. say, say, the Spaniards imported a lot of gold, like tons and tons and tons of gold from, from Latin America, that affected prices. Probably suddenly prices, when they got back to Spain, prices just skyrocketed because there was so much gold competing for, for the goods. So the, the price of gold just fell. That is, the purchasing power of money fell. So, so that happens too, but it's, it's a much harder to produce gold, as a lot of people have tried throughout history, <laughs> than it is to produce <laughs> digital coins. So, so I, I, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm not necessarily a gold bug in, that, in the sense that it has to be gold, but some, some kind of market-based money that, that is actually something that, that's, that, that would solve a lot of the problems that we have. It would, however, and I think that's the reason why we have these problems, it would cause problems for politicians and, and for the government because it would, would, would keep, keep them from spending more than they have. And today they are spending much more than they have and, therefore, and thereby imposing inflation upon us. I mean, that's, that's basically what is happening. But with gold, they cannot anymore. Yeah, it's... It's interesting business model if you think about politicians. They're promising stuff with our own money for them to to gain the power from us to to be to have the mandate to be doing what they do. So it's completely weird model that that you you sort of in in the middle of there and and the, we as a people are then also harming ourselves 
with these promises and with the false theories that, you know, we can believe on the Santa Claus and the Santa Claus will provide us with these things and, and it doesn't cost anything and they're coming from Mars or some other place and it's not affecting the, the rest of the economy or our lives. Right, I, I think so it was it's like a grand illusion in a, in a yeah. global scale. What's happening? Yeah, I think it was Mencken who said that every election is sort of a, an advance auction of stolen goods. So, I mean, they're, they're trying to just bribe us with our own stuff, but they haven't taken the stuff yet. <laughs> so they they will do that after the election. And it's, it's a it's a clever way of putting it, and it's not it's not false. Can we now sink into a bit more deeper waters with uh, MMT? I see you being active. What, what is the modern monetary theory, and and you know, is is that some craziness as well? You know, we should we should get rid of immediately, and and you know, what is it about? Is 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 it actually what we've been discussing the whole time here? Well, I mean, it's close to it. It's it's this new new kid on the block in a sense in in in. Not in economics, because economists don't really uh, accept it, because it's not a theory. It's uh, some someone put it that modern but monetary theory. But it says theories, it's a theory, right? Someone someone said that modern monetary theory is it's not modern because there's no idea. It's not really monetary, and it's not theory either. I mean, what what it is 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 really based off of off of the view that whatever the government spends, well, first of all, the government cannot run out of its own money. Because it's just printing it. It kind of makes sense if you can print as much as you like. It's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course you, you can pay your own debts by by creating more of that money that you have issued the debt in, because it's yours. Yeah, which it, they're actually doing as well. Yeah. Right, and and it's not it's not necessarily the case that people will accept it though. Right. So so yeah, it's like uh, putting a hundred dollar bill on on your left pocket and, and taking it from your left pocket and putting it in the right and, and you can keep on doing this and you know you never run out of money in your pockets right <laughs> right and 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 mmt goes beyond this then and says that well people will have to use this money to some extent anyway because they have to pay taxes back to us the government using that money so they they, they sort of issue the money that funds government projects and it has demand because people will need to pay taxes uh, using this currency. And then these also... It say, sounds like what Russia is doing nowadays. They, they're causing a problem first, like uh, destroying the, the crane, for example, in Ukraine. And then they kindly will offer a solution to relieve this pain, what just happened. Right. And, they it, get some, and, and some that is what of, po politicians uh, yeah. do, right? That's, that's uh, what politics does and that's what the mafia does too, right? I will protect you from someone burning down your house. Well, that someone would be no. me, right? So, <laughs> so the protection fee. But the the MMTers will also say that well, the government spends all this money by buying stuff and services from the private sector. So the private whatever deficit the government has in terms of its own money is uh, excess or surplus for the private sector. So you even have some proponents of MMT have said that entrepreneurs can't make profit unless the government first spends money. But now we're getting into nonsense territory, right? Because now you're saying that, well, the only thing I will consider to be money 
and profit will can only be counted in this money is the government's currency. And I don't give a damn about the value of goods or any exchanges or anything like that. So in a sense, they're, they're excluding the whole economy from their theory on the economy, which is a little ironic, you could say. Right? So they're, they're just focusing on really the, the, the monetary policy of the state. And, and they're, in a sense, they're, they're, I, mean, I should give them a little credit too, because they are describing what is going on between the central bank and the treasury. So they are just shifting numbers back and forth. And they are right that they are requiring us to use this, their currency and things like that. So they do have some things right, but then they, they continue and sort of extrapolate like crazy to include or at least attempt to explain the whole economy based off of this sort of small uh, phenomenon that happens within the government. So they believe that they have a theory of what is money based off of how the state functions, which doesn't make any sense. Because if we think about how, why do we use money? Well, we use money because we trust that it has purchasing power. That's with or without the government. It's with or without taxation. It has nothing to do with that at all. And that just because the government has sort of monopolized national currencies and have um, disconnected the national currencies from any valued good, because they were most mostly gold currencies before and now not, that doesn't mean that all money has to be this way. And we see this in many countries too. I mean, if you take Zimbabwe or Venezuela or the Weimar Republic, it doesn't matter if it's backed by something or, or not, officially speaking, that it, if people lose trust in what the government says is money, it will be money no more. Because money is not really, economically speaking, it's not about the, the coins and bills. Money is the commonly used medium of exchange. So it is whatever people commonly use as a medium when they exchange. And they can shift to something else, but the idea of money is already there. We already understand money. We've been brought up to think that, oh, money is whatever the government's central bank is issuing, but that's not necessary at all. It's, it might not be the case, and Bitcoin is a good example of that, right? That, that it's something that could very well become a money, a commonly used... And it's exchange. already a legal tender in some places. In, in, in Even that, right? So, and it's... It's not commonly used, but in, in certain circles, it certainly is. So for them, it's money, and it could very well turn into money. So it's, it's not that strange, really. I mean, it, MMTers take, take sort of a, a, a grain of truth, in a sense, and then they say that, oh, look at this grain. This explains the whole field and the forest around it. And, and it doesn't. And unfortunately, discussing MMT with... MMTers, they tend to be among the most economically illiterate I've ever encountered. Uh, and that's actually saying a lot. Because <laughs> like we talked about before, <laughs> the, the, the point of the book is to get people a little bit up to date on how the economy works, because people have never been exposed to the, uh, these ideas, or how it actually works. And what they observe is, is 
typically pretty far from the actual processes that are that, that are happening. So economics is supposed to uncover those things. But MMTers, they, they have their own definitions of terms, and they tend to think of money as something very magic. So it's it's a government's magic in some sense. So when they, for instance, they would they would say that uh, inflation, the inflation that we're seeing right now, it's not because there's too much money. It's because that there are too few goods that money can buy. And those are just two sides of a coin, yeah. of course. Yeah. No. So yeah. the question then is, well, why isn't the problem that there's too much money, which has been created recently, why is the, the problem necessarily that pe- production of goods has not kept up with the central bank's production of money? Well, they say because the price of the goods is supply and demand. Yeah, okay, but there's supply and demand on money too. No, they say, because that's magic. So supply and, <laughs> su- supply and demand of goods is in money. <laughs> Right, so money has no supply and demand. It has only supply, I guess, or only demand, or whatever it is. But there's, they, they sort of miss this fundamental piece that it's a medium of exchange, and every price is a ratio between the two things exchanged. In the money economy, that's money and a good, usually. In the barter economy, it's a good and a good. But they're missing that there's a ratio. So, <clears throat> so. I don't even know how to explain. I mean, you you can't really, you can't really d- discuss. It's like these a flat issues. earthers, you know. It's 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 right. kind of difficult to ex- you know explain to someone that you know when you're flying or you can see the satellite images or you can just basically observe if you buy the ocean. You, you, just using a bit of a common sense, it's just like inevitable that you you cannot go wrong. You know, it's just like if if you just do a bit of a. Some yeah. kind of uh, you know thinking I, I think, yourself. I think that is a good comparison because because it it is very much like flat Earth theory because flat Earth theory in itself is I'm no expert but I'm I'm guessing it's fairly consistent, <laughs> right? So <laughs> flat Earth expert you know, would be yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's not me but but <laughs> I, I'm guessing the theory itself is consistent just like the the Marxist system is consistent but it's based off of no. Very flawed assumptions, no. but then that means that you can't. Yeah, but really... because you can, you can always tweak the definitions. You can make right. it consistent by tweaking or taking, leaving something out, and that's always consistent based on the right. definitions. And you can always explain anything practically through just a circular argument, and that's what I, I I see in MMT proponents all the time that they go back to just a circular argument. When you're talking about anything in the economy, like production or entrepreneurs or whatever. They have one standard phrase that they use as sort of a a uh, trump card that they think that they win whenever they use it. Just begs the question, why don't they use it to begin with? But they, they throw it in there when, when they sort of feel a little pressured, I guess. And they say, but who, who creates the dollars? Yeah, the government creates the dollars, but that has nothing to do with exchange ratios in the economy. No. People can still exchange goods even if there were no dollars. And frankly, there was a dollar before the government monopolized it too. Like there was money before. Yeah. So it. No. It was private, and then the government actually asked a bit of a favor to to to, to get to the business. 
of, of you know doing currencies. Exactly, and all those these national currencies they were monopolized or really expropriated private currencies. I mean, money is a, a, a market phenomenon. It's not something that someone no, created. Right, and it's it's not something that someone created and thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if everybody just used this thing and and and, and used it in exchange? No, because why would anybody accept that thing in exchange? It has no value in itself. Well, it, it emerged spontaneously in the marketplace because people realized, and I mean, this is Carl uh, Menger's explanation for money way back in the 1892 or something like that. I think it's sort of a classic piece where he explains how, where money comes from. You don't need anyone to centrally plan it. Initially, you can't do that either, because if people don't understand what it is, why would they give up their actual goods for the something that they don't understand? You have to force them. You have to put it, put it, basically put a gun to their heads and say, you, put, you take this. But what are they going to do with it? When they turn around and try to buy something with it, then the government has to be there with a gun to that guy's head to accept it too. Until people are so used to the guns, they go, so... I'm just going to do it anyway. But that's that's a very costly way. And that's not what happened. It's not what, what could happen either. But to Menger, what he said was, that, well, imagine a barter society where everybody's just producing whatever they're producing and they're exchanging whatever surplus they have for things that they want. In order for this to happen, they have to find someone who wants what they offer and has what they want to get. Right. So you, you, you if if you have eggs and I have apples and I want eggs and you want apples, we can figure out how to exchange. But if I want your eggs but you don't want my apples, we can't trade. And then of course I can figure out, well, this third guy over there has beautiful other fruits, pears, and and you like pears. Well, then I can, that guy might accept my apples so I'll, I'll exchange apples for pears. I don't like pears. I don't want pears. But I think that you want pears. So I can exchange with him to get what you want and thereby get the eggs that I actually want. And then people will engage in this behavior and choose the more saleable good. So maybe there is some other good that more people would want in exchange. And when I figure that out, I will just choose to sell my apples for that thing because it opens up so many more options for me when I trade. I can get so many more things that I want rather than just trade with this guy with pairs. And then eventually, when people do this, they will choose the most saleable good eventually, which will then be money because it's a commonly used medium of exchange. It's not a good that people acquire because they want the good. They want to use it as purchasing power. So money comes from from us in our actions, it doesn't. It, it wasn't imposed on us, and, and we understand this concept now, which means the government can sort of expropriate or usurp the idea, and say that you no 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 you can't use anything else, because we're used to the idea. We understand the idea now, but we created it from the beginning. And of course, the, what is a money can be destroyed easily, and that's what we see in hyperinflation. When people just say, you know, I'm not going to use that shit anymore because uh, that loses its value and I'm going to just get stuff instead. I don't want to hold it. And when enough people say that, the purchasing power goes to zero and it's not going to be money anymore. So the good news is that if you're a founder and you're producing stuff, 
you have nothing to worry about. You know, if you're doing something what the other people are actually willing to trade for, you don't need the government money. You just keep on doing what you're doing. And you will find a medium of exchange, what the other people exchange, so you can just part of things. So actually you're in a really good position and it's a hedge against uh, the, all the craziness what's happening in the world. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think, I mean, that's, that is what entrepreneurs are in the business of doing, right? They're trying to figure out what people value, not what they themselves value, but what other people value so that they can sell it. And then what they sell it for, well, that's a matter of what would be acceptable at that point. Because if, if we see hyperinflation, it might not be dollars anymore. It might be something else, but it's dollars today. So we can calculate it in dollars, but it might be something else then later on. Who, who knows? But it's, I think that's, it's, I, I tend to, I usually say that entrepreneurs are in the business of creating our tomorrow. And what I mean by that is that they're creating all the goods and services that consumers will want in the future, but probably don't know anything about today. So entrepreneurs will figure out not only what they might benefit from, but also how to package and, and communicate it to them so that they understand that they, oh, this is something that I really, really want. And, and just like you said, if they do it right, if they're good, they produce something that other people want and they can get something in return. That something, well, that something is something they, they will have to agree on. So it, it could be whatever is money at that point. It doesn't have to be the paper currencies we have today. So I think this is a really good point to thank you for the excellent talk today, Per. And I want to also thank uh, all the listeners and, and uh, those who are actually watching in YouTube as well. And uh, till next time.